is joining me for the session today, Mukunda's Meditations. So today's a special session. We, ha we have three guests. We have um, um, Vastev, who's like um, slightly off screen there. <laughs> there you are. Then we have uh, Keshava and we have Govinda as well. Thank you guys for, for joining us today. Um, so a little bit about like what these sessions are about. I'm, a, I'm an avid journaler, I'm an avid writer. And um, I always write about what's happening in the world um, through the um, vantage point of my own Krishna consciousness, my own practice of bhakti. Uh, the one thing I always say to people is that, you know, I'm not into abstract spirituality. I need to be able to apply my um, spiritual knowledge uh, to what I see in my everyday life. So I started these sessions just to have like the opportunity to hang out with with friends and discuss topics like this, like real life topics and how we can apply um, Krishna consciousness or bhakti to them. So today, um, you know, we, we titled the, the talk um, Empathy, um, basically a lens to our common humanity. And this is obviously on the backdrop of everything that's been happening around the world. First of all, like for the last couple of months, we've had this coronavirus pandemic, which has just like been crazy, you know. Um, and, you know, one thing that it did bring out was the social disparities amongst, uh, within society and within the various groups um, within our communities as well. And then to further like exacerbate that, we had, um, you know, this, this, uh, this gruesome event that happened with, um, with uh, George Floyd over the, uh, the last two weeks. And that really just highlighted the um, severity of the racial issues that still exist in today's world. And I thought, you know what, eh? um, let me actually reach out to a few devotees and just like have a discussion on, on race because the one thing that did come out over this last week was just an outpouring from so many different devotees about how racism still affects them as people. So I wanted to sort of bring the conversation in that context and help everyone who's tuning in understand as well that the session is, is about, first of all, coming to the point of communication. I'm a huge believer in the power of communication because I think it gives us the opportunity to understand where each person is at. And when we can begin to understand, we're then able to um, chart a path to um, build, build bridges between each other so that we can help each other constructively. So that's what this is about. So I first wanted to ask you guys, you know, um, what's it been like in New York? Um, what's it been like for, for you guys um, personally? with um, with the events and how do you um, what was your your feelings what were your feelings over the last like week or so you can each like take a turn to to share that because I think 
it's important to to just like start off on that note like a hot note like what were you guys feeling when you saw these events and and everything else that's happening around the world now I'll go first. Um, I've had a very interesting couple of days, even weeks even. And these days have been filled with, you know, obviously, um, I'm very hurt from what I've seen. And, you know, a lot of people are hurt. And I'm also, I, I had a couple of days where I was very just confused. Uh, I feel like a lot of times when we're really hurt, we become confused and we're not sure what to do, how to deal with these things that are upsetting us. And so, you know, this you know, this topic of racism and police brutality and things like that, these aren't new issues. These aren't new subjects. These aren't, this isn't something that hasn't happened before. But... You know, the confusion starts to settle in when we think of, all right, well, how long has this been happening? You know, why is this happening? And why isn't anything being done to prevent these things from happening again? And, you know, we think about different, you know, subjects when we talk about this, we think about, obviously, there's karma involved. And, you know, you know we think about, you know, this is a material world and everything. And these are things that we all know and accept, but, you know, sometimes it's hard to still understand, mm. you know, these are very broad topics and stuff. And sometimes it's hard to apply these to these specific situations and stuff like that. And so it's been very confusing. And, you know, I've been, you know, chanting a lot and reading a lot, trying to get my mind right. And, come to accept and understand what's happened because it's it's very distressing to see so yeah and very eye-opening and uh introspective process that i feel like we need to go through yeah i think what uh kind of for me to address what vasadeh was saying i was feeling a lot of you know this kind of like sadness, obviously. Also a lot of disappointment because of the way that certain people were reacting to what was going on and certain people's understandings and the clashes of understandings between people. And I feel like that's where a lot of uh, rifts start to form when there's clashes of understanding between people and a lot of the time, <laughs> part of the clash is just not the it's the person's level of understanding is not where you think it should be. So then that is what's disappointing to you because it's like, really, man, you. So I, there, there is always some disappointment. And then I find for me, disappointment and frustration often become an obstacle mm. where I get caught up in whatever the disappointment or frustration is. And then that kind of blocks me from moving past that. 
So I think for me personally, I've been praying that I don't get stuck because I feel like there are certain situations where you're interacting with another person or you're interacting with yourself and you can get caught up and then it's like quicksand. You know when they tell you when you're trying to save somebody from quicksand, there's certain things you can and can't do. Otherwise, you're both in the quicksand. If you're both, if you're trying to save someone from quicksand and then you both get stuck, you fail, everybody. Hmm. So it's, it, I think for me, it's just about praying for the guidance so that I don't get caught up, but I can still be of some kind of use. Um, and that's what I've been trying to think about and, and get Krishna's mercy to, to avoid that. Um, yeah. Um, since I'm very young and I've also been very sheltered, it's been kind of hard to process all this information for me. So I always felt like talking to my mom or a chuta or someone with more wisdom and more knowledge, my brothers, I feel like that's helped me understand because they've seen more than I have. They've seen all these different things that have happened that I haven't really. So they've experienced more. So I feel like just the knowledge that they have and they give to me, it can be very helpful in understanding these confusing and hard times and understand how some people can lack an empathy for, you know, another human life, you know, because yeah. what happened was just terrible. So just talking to people with more wisdom on the matters, it, it has helped me understand a little bit of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I really like appreciate what you guys just shared because um, it comes from a very real place. And often when it comes to topics of like um, uh, race and, and whatever form of prejudice, the parties that are, are victims are in some way, shape or form, you know, almost like expected to have properly crystallized ideas about the pain that they're feeling, you know. And, and oftentimes it's, it's so confusing to us um, the people who experience these things because one, you don't really know um, where they come from and, and two, you try to reconcile them with uh, the reality of the world that you're trying to um, live in. And that sort of like um, brings me, you know, to a point that my sister, I was just speaking to my sister before we came live and I was asking her, um, like, what do you think was the um, real cause of so much of an outpouring of grief from almost everyone across the world with this? And she said something that was like um, so simple, but, but um, made absolute sense. She said, it's because when people continuously tell you over and over and over and over again, that this is happening and they don't believe you. And then finally, it takes something as gruesome as, you know, this event to take place for people to actually begin to acknowledge like, oh, I get what you were saying. 
and 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 that really hit me because she and you know um she put a term to it you know gaslighting in the sense that you're you're observing the um the phenomena that's taking place in front of you and it comes in the form of uh microaggressions or a mild neglect of of your personhood or sometimes like an overt and very obvious type of racism and you share this with people but you know you don't really get heard and the frustration and grief and for me what i was feeling the last week was like a genuine numbness i i couldn't really voice out what i was was feeling i just i just felt numb and it took like the death of a human being for the world to wake up and say this thing is real you know and and um yeah that that was my my feelings that's that's um that's what i experienced over this last week so i just wanted us to like actually touch on the point of of empathy because the whole reason of us having this like session together is because i was as- asking myself now that we're actually aware of the problem how can we practically move the ball closer to the goal line you know um it's one thing being aware but it's another thing actually taking tangible steps to try and remedy this um the situation and um and that's why i thought the word empathy was important because empathy is is not only understanding but but really um feeling what the other person is is feeling too so i wanted to ask you guys um like how can um how can we begin or what do you think um are the is a way that we can begin to share this with people in a way that is is inclusive but at the same time genuine um to the actual pain that people feel around these issues so sometimes we tend to be very um apologetic or even shy about like voicing out the pain that we feel so how can we actually um voice out and educate each other about the sufferings and pains of um black minorities but other minority groups but specifically in this case black minorities in order for us to begin to build a culture and a space safe spaces where we can speak about race um and so on in a constructive way um i feel like one way to get people to kind of for it to to click in people's heads i feel like as a society in general we're all very divided you know um in in a in a kind of a general sense you know certain people hang out with certain people they we have these little groups of you know society and when you have divided groups there is a relatability that is lost and so 
if we can, uh, you know, explain what's happening to us and what we're feeling in a way that's relatable, then that'll get people to kind of understand, you know, in a, in a sense, like around the world, there are horrible things that are happening and we may be aware of that, but if we can't really relate to what's happening, it's not something that's to the forefront of our mind. Like we think about, you know, we know world hunger exists and everything, but if that's not necessarily my experience, then, you know, it might not be so important to me. So, you know, these are, these are all people. And this person, George Floyd, he was a father. He was a, someone's son. He was someone's brother. And, you know, if it's not your brother, you know, he's going to mean more to his brother than he is to you because you don't have that relationship. But the more we get to have people understand that, one, he's not the only person that's affected by this. There's a whole family. He has friends. He has, like, a whole network of people who are affected. And, you know, just on the basis of him being another human being, we should be empathetic, sympathetic. You know, then you think about, well, if this was, if you can't feel like this for him, imagine if this was your brother or if this was your husband or your son or your father. You would want me to be as outraged or upset, you know, regardless of what, you know, relationship you have. And so, not to get too off topic, but on a similar thing of police brutality, some people don't believe in police brutality. They don't think that's a thing that exists. But with all these protests, we've seen that police brutality does exist and not only for people that look like us. They've been treating people who look, you know, they've been treating white people, Hispanic people, all types of people terribly. And so since we've been able to see that, people are starting to wake up and they're starting to notice that, oh, this isn't just a problem for these people. This is a human problem. This is a problem that everybody has. And so in the same way, if we can convey that, hey, this is an issue for everyone, not just people who look like me, not just for people who look like this. Yeah. This is a human problem, then we can get them to understand and be yeah. empathetic. I think um, there has to be a, a change of perspective. And I think what Vasudev is saying is true in the sense that there has to be some kind of relatability for there to be a change in perspective. Because if the perspective doesn't change, then why should it, why would anyone feel like they need to change, right? If my point of view hasn't changed on a the matter, then why would I do anything towards fixing it? Um, you know, there are certain things around the house that you look at and it's like, well, that's not broken, so you leave it, you know what I mean? Like if your car is making a noise and it's not, it's not affecting the way you're driving, just kind of like, that's gonna be expensive. Hmm. So I think, you know, in, in changing your perspective 
and especially in cultivating compassion because a lot of people are so caught up in their point of view that they can't be compassionate you know it's very difficult for people in this day and age to be compassionate for one another because everything's being so heavily filtered through this lens of their experiences and their relationships and, and things like that, that it's almost out of their realm of reality. So when I talk about like, you know, different experiences I've had, even in temples where it's like racist experiences and you tell somebody that, like even another devotee, like wow i never knew that could happen and it's like really because this this happens a lot so it's just kind of like in that sense i think people need to step outside of themselves and change their perspectives and it's something that they need to want to do it has to be there has to be a desire to do that otherwise it becomes very performative yeah. um on the internet there's a lot of talk of like performative morality have you guys ever heard of that yeah where it's like people are championing a, a cause for some kind of like external you know this is going to make me a good person if i retweet this but they don't really care about the issues they don't really care about fixing the issues and they are kind of helping move it forward so that's good but it's not for the right reasons. And when we're, as devotees, mindset and reasoning is like a basic tenet of what we do. We're supposed to do everything for Krishna. We're supposed to do everything with a, a certain mindset for Krishna. So this is all very connected, you know? Everything about this changing mindset, compassion, um, not just seeing things through our own perspective, but seeing things through the perspective of Guru Parampara, you know, things that it falls in that nature. It's all connected. And like Vas was talking about police brutality and me and Keish were talking and it was a little bit funny, but it was also very true. Police brutality has been along, around forever. In the Bhagavatam, think about Parsharam. There were Kshatriyas. Kshatriyas are police, they're governing bodies, they do laws, they fight wars, they do all kinds of things. They came to Parshuram's house, tried to steal things from him. They stole uh, a Tsurabi cow, a wish-fulfilling cow, and they killed his family. That sounds like police brutality to me. You know, Haridas Thakur, who's our yeah. Namacharya, was discriminated against based off his caste, and the law beat him in public places. So, you know, we're talking about the Supreme Lord and one of the highest um, saints in our entire lineage. So these things happen and, and they happen to people who are on a higher plane of existence, a higher plane of, of functioning. You know, the Supreme Lord exhibited this in his pastime. So if we're in a perverted reflection of the divine pastimes, we're going to be going through it. You know what I mean? So we can't ignore these things and say it doesn't exist. And I mean, with Vasa's his point about relatability, that's 
part of what really strengthens faith in, in Bhagavatam and in scripture, because we can see how this happened before. We can see how this is an issue. This has been happening. Not to take away no, no, no. That was great. Um, but, yeah, touching on both of their points, I think both of their points are really great and everything, but I also think it also has to do with the person's willingness to listen and hear your story and your pain and their ability to understand that and not just let it go in one ear and out the other. Because yeah. a lot of times, I feel like sometimes you just hear things and it's like, oh, okay. Um, and you don't really try and understand what a person is saying and how they're feeling and how they're grieving and what they're going through. So I feel like you have to be able to hear and listen to what the person is saying and try and understand. So it just doesn't go over your head. And that takes humility. Yeah. It takes a lot of humility. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, the three of you just hit the, the nail on the head here. Um, you know, Vasa's point about, um, was it Jugo in this speaking about, you know, this performative morality uh, that, that the world uh, exhibits out there. And, and really, that was um, why I wanted us to, to have this conversation, because it's, I knew that, you know, as, as commendable as online activism was this past week and as fantastic as all the speaking and, uh, and writing and posting on social media was, that doesn't change materially the lives of the people who are affected, you know? So we need to actually... Hey, Haribo. Mukunda. <laughs> Haribo, Haribo. Welcome. Um, so, yeah, th that doesn't really affect the lives of people um, in a positive way. It doesn't, like we were saying earlier, actually move the ball closer to um, uh, the score, uh, the try line or, or the touchdown line, whatever you want to call it. So what we need to do is what you guys are saying is relatability. And that's why speaking about these things um, in an open fashion such as this is so, so important. We have to realize as a spiritual community that we have issues of racism, of, of sexism, of xenophobia, homophobia, whatever sort of minority issues that are there, they are within our society too. And if we continue to sort of like um, go on with blinkers and say, but oh Prabhu, um, you're not this body. Why are you even speaking about this? It's, it's not only insensitive, but it, it, it removes us from tapping into compassion. We, we completely throw it out the window because if we can't even relate on a human level, if we can't see another living beings on the basic human level, how can we then transfer our consciousness to, 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 higher spiritual, um, to a higher spiritual plane? So 
I wanted us to actually speak about that, speak about, you know, destructive belief systems that we mask with spiritual virtue. Um, you know, there's, you know, the, the common um, uh, material trope would be uh, because I have black friends, I can't be racist, you know, type of thing. And that's a complete fallacy because it isn't about like your proximity or um, association with, with others that determines your internal belief systems. It's actually your internal belief systems that is the, um, what is at stake here? What is, what is the thing that we're actually questioning? So um, when it comes to a society such as ours, which um, speaks a philosophy of transcending the body, yet we are constantly reminded of our bodily designation. How can we form, as Vas was saying, greater relationships of relatability? How can we find ways to relate closer with each other as, as devotees? How can we build bridges into each other's communities and homes? so that we understand each other's struggles and realize that in those times of struggles, um, because we've been through that together, we can turn to each other when we need each other. So yeah, that's my question to you. How do we build relatability? Um, I feel like this understanding that we all need to have, like like you said, these um, destructive quote-unquote beliefs that we have, like this whole argument of you're not this body, that's as true as it is, it's one of the foundations of this whole science, this religious philosophy that we're in. I think we need to understand the, its purpose and the time, place, and circumstance for which we understand that fact because if you think about it as nobody lives with that as the standard all the time if you burn yourself you're not going to think i'm not this body it doesn't affect me right no one's going to do that and even though we aren't this body in this practice we have to take care of this body like as devotees we're not this body, but you still have to shower every day. You still have to brush your teeth every day because it is a temple and it is a vessel for spreading Krishna consciousness. The devotees were starving in Russia and they're asking Shri Prabhupada, what do we do? And he said, no matter what, you have to preserve yourself because you are devotees and you are agents in Lord Chaitanya's mission. So even though we don't necessarily associate with the body, we have to understand that they're important and worth protecting. So this whole, you know, this whole, you're not this body to kind of dismiss any, you know, real accountability, that's not how it should be used, you know, you are not this body. We know this so that we understand that this isn't the place where I'm supposed to be. I don't belong here. And 
if I relate to this body on the fact that, oh, this is, I'm this body, I and my, this belongs to me, all these things belong to me, which aren't real, then that's how we should use you aren't this body, I'm not this body. Regardless of I'm this body or not, these things are still happening to me. So by telling me that I'm not this body, what do you want me to do? You know? So I feel like we need to take, you know, these things and put them in the proper context so that people don't misinterpret them and then weaponize them to, for lack of a better word, and then use it to... Weaponize is a good word. It's a very good yeah, word. Yeah, weaponize. I, I totally agree with that. And yeah. to piggyback off what Vasudev is saying, there has to be a level of responsibility taken because I think a common uh, sort of factor when you go to talk about things that are touchy subjects like race or um, gender or sex or whatever, the first thing that people who aren't actively suffering in this situation do is they're like well that's not me right it, it becomes a defensive uh tactic right so it becomes well that's not me um i'm not doing this to you and then once you become defensive then that shuts down compassion it shuts down understanding so yeah. if i'm bringing a, a situation up where i'm suffering it's not because i'm trying to attack you it's because i want some understanding going on and with i'm not this body like boss said if you get burned i'm not gonna be like you're not this body it's cool because that's not compassionate and that's what we have to be honest about we have to be honest about our level of understanding about the philosophy if i see that you're suffering i feel some type of way about that um there's the pastime, Krishna goes, and Krishna has to save um, the son of Sandipani Muni, who's his teacher. And he goes to hell to save this boy's soul. And um, Krishna comes, and he blows his conch shell, and Yamaraj comes out, and Yamaraj is really happy to see Krishna, because the way his job is, he doesn't see Krishna so much. And yeah, nobody comes to visit him in hell. Hell is not... It's not a vacation destination spot. Um, and Yamaraj is like, okay, I'll go get, I'll go get this boy. Just wait here. And while Krishna is there, Krishna is hearing the screaming and the suffering that's going on in hell. And in our philosophy, our understanding of hell is it's like prison. It's like reform school. You know, you go to hell, you burn off your bad karma, and then you come back up and you do whatever you need to do. So Krishna who has all opulences, he's the most intelligent, he has a perfect understanding of his own philosophy, is feeling compassion towards these people that are suffering in hell. He knows that the people in hell are there because they did something, right? He has a perfect understanding that they deserve. Uh, their karma. Exactly, <laughs> this is your karma, you're in hell. And Krishna feels compassion towards them. And that's where um, he enacts a codicy, right? Yeah, so Krishna... Different. That's well, there's always so many verses. But Krishna actually institutes a way where you can get rid of your karma. That's one of the origins of a codicy. So if Krishna, who has the perfect understanding of anything, 
can understand the suffering of people who are in a situation that they warranted. And we're all supposed to be trying to please Krishna. Then what's the difficulty? What's the problem? If I'm thinking of you as another devotee of Krishna, then why is it so difficult for me to feel some sort of compassion for you and want to help alleviate your suffering? What's, what's the reason for that? We're all devotees of Krishna. And we talk about how this is a civil rights issue, but Krishna consciousness is the biggest civil rights movement. Srila Prabhupada said we're doing the highest welfare work. So if it's connected to Krishna, which is the important part, then what's, there's, no, there's no problem. If you want to go out and protest and do Harinam or give out Prashadam, there should be no issue. There should, on on a, a logical and compassionate basis, which is the basis of our entire philosophy, Lord Chaitanya was going out and giving mercy to everybody, regardless of caste, creed, religion, um, skin color. Haridas Thakur was born a Muslim. What's the, what's the problem? This, this is exactly what we're yeah. here for, you know? So on the one hand, there's the understanding. And then on the other hand, we have the people that are suffering. So as the suffering people, as somebody who is experiencing the suffering, then what is my understanding? In, in Bhagavad Gita, we talk about the people who take shelter of the Lord. There's people who are in distress. There's a... Material wealth. There's there's a lot of people that actually take shelter of the Lord. I'm in distress. <laughs> we are in distress. We're the distressed people right here. So we have an understanding, and what we really have to do is change the perspective because this sucks, but it's helping us get closer to Krishna. Yeah. If we can think about it like that, and we can work with that then that can make it more bearable because we're yeah. looking at it in the proper context. The material world is a world of suffering. If you're getting extra suffering, that's giving you extra reason to leave the material world. So if Krishna is making it externally, it seems harder, but internally, it could be easier depending on your perspective. So yeah. it depends on how we're thinking about these things. We have bodies where there's heavy karma, heavy karma for suffering, heavy karma in society, heavy karma in almost all facets of life, except athletics. <laughs> we have heavy karma. So what are we going to do with that? Yeah. On our yeah. side, it's what are we going to do with that? We're in these bodies. What are we going to do with that? And there's so much potential when we see devotees out on Harinam, it becomes more. Like we, we talked about how Krishna consciousness is for, for the greatest welfare work. It's the highest thing. It's not an Indian thing. It's not, um, you know, an American thing. It's not a 70s hippie thing. So if everyone deserves Krishna and you want everyone to come back to Krishna, then people who are still in a bodily conception of life need to see that it's for everyone. Yeah. So again, we talk about relatability. If I'm black and I see 
other black devotees loving Krishna, then I think it's possible. Because this is not, it's not necessarily a historical thing for us to do. You know what I mean? People, on that basis, the relatability is difficult. So if you're in a black body, you can use your black body. You can use it to inspire people to take to Krishna consciousness and elevate past the bodily conception of that. There's no reason not to. So I think for the yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you know, the, the bring it calls into question. Of course, I am a firm believer of where there's a will, there's a way. And quarantine has kind of shown us that every person, every place can become a temple and a preaching center. And so for that, I am so grateful to be in this 21st century with all of this technology. Because if you want to preach, you can preach. Yeah. But for so long, someone asked me recently, they said, oh, you're giving so many talks now. Was this happening before? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> Quarantine was the first time I was ever asked to give a Bhagavatam lecture, ever. And I'm, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Like I could teach the children, but the, the adults don't really want to listen to me. So it, 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 it calls into question, are we encouraging a, a multicultural, multifaceted picture of what our movement is going to look like? Yeah, an international society. Exactly. It's in the name. Exactly. Yeah. So there's two important questions that I need to ask before, you know, we run out of time. Um, the first question is, we've seen Blackout Tuesday. We've seen the amazing outpouring from different people um, on social media. But what are the questions and what are what is the discussion that we should be having at home because this at home is where these belief systems are are formed and nurtured what are the discussions that devotees or people in general should start having at home in order to, one, build a greater sense of relatability or at least cultivate the desire to relate to others more, and two, to transform their work. Because one of the things I'm firmly convinced of is that, you know, when we put aside our cell phones, when we put aside our online presence, the actual revolution is going to take place in those secluded places um, where we are alone and we have to examine our meta-beliefs about, um, about each other as human beings. I'll put it as frankly as that. Do we actually harbor the, the notion within us that because of a certain type of skin color, 
um, because um, of whatever sort of material designation we value people less than or more. So what are the discussions that we can begin to have, particularly about race at home, to begin to introspect and examine these beliefs that we may or may not be conscious about? Because I think we're, we're all aware of, sometimes we encounter people who genuinely, genuinely, genuinely don't believe that they are racist, you know? Yet they, um, they behave or sometimes they say something which is so overtly um, demeaning or, or, um, or, or prejudicial. So clearly there's a blind spot there. What, can, what are the discussions that um, people can have to begin to work on identifying those blind spots and working towards um, progressing themselves to a, a place of better relatability with not only just um, the black community with, within um, our society, but with all other minority groups within, within our society. To me, I think the, the biggest question we have to ask ourselves and the question that kind of will precipitate all the other questions that need to be asked is how can I treat this person in a way that'll be pleasing to Krishna? How can I treat this person in a way that's going to make Krishna happy? Because if you're thinking that way, then you're, there's, there's very little room for error there. There's no room for error there. If you're treating everyone in a way that will make Krishna happy, then how can you fail? But you really have to examine how you're behaving. Like you really have to make sure that you're treating a, a, a person in a way where they'll want to get closer to Krishna, where they'll want to be more enthusiastic to, to come to the temple. Um, a lot of, like Achuta, she, she does um, Sunday school. And there's a lot of people that are like almost unofficial outreach people in our temple where it feels like devotees are coming in and, you know, you're the one friend that they have, or they have, you know, whatever. This is an opportunity that Krishna is presenting you with because Krishna is the attractive quality in everything. So Krishna is the one that's actually attracting them to the temple. But if they have one friend, they're likely to come to you. You know what I mean? If you're that one friend, they're likely to come to you. So if somebody is treating them with love and respect, then they have an example of, of how to treat other people. You know, we have to be, we have to treat people the way that, that's going to please Krishna. Because if not, then, then what's the point of a society? How can we get any good kind of association? Which is also a basic tenet of our philosophy. Devotee association. How are we going to get a good association if everyone's treating each other like garbage? So we have to find that value. And if you can't start there, then you can start with, well, why should I treat this person nice? Krishna loves them. If Krishna loves them isn't enough for you, 
I don't know what it is, but Krishna loves them. They're a part and parcel of Krishna. So a part and parcel of Krishna seems pretty valuable to me, right? Krishna is the best of everything. If you're even a tiny, infinitesimal part, there's some worth there, right? Krishna loves you. You're a part and parcel of Krishna. You're a servant of Krishna, which means we're the same because I'm a servant of Krishna too. We're all servants of Krishna. So when you think about it, based off the basic principles of our philosophy, this shouldn't be too difficult, right? It's not going to be easy, but if we work at it, it shouldn't be too difficult. But you have to start the conversation. You have to examine yourself. So it's going to be work. That's the problem. People don't like doing work. I don't like doing work. Nobody likes work. Work is work. <laughs> but it's necessary. Yeah. My yeah. Gumaraj gave a really interesting analogy one time. And he was speaking about Ajamil and the Yamadudas. And he was talking about how Yamadutas are sometimes born Yamadutas. So this is not just a position that has been had once upon a time where you inflict suffering on other living entities. This is a body, a life that you could find yourself in. And so he said, sometimes we see people who derive joy from inflicting pain on others. And then sometimes there are people who will even convince themselves that they are doing it under the order of their spiritual master. So he said, the Yamadutas, they, they think, this is my job. Yamaraj is my king. He's my spiritual master. He has deputed me to perform this service. So there are people who will convince themselves that this is their job. This is their service. But that gets you a body in a place that you do not want. Hell. <laughs> this is not the association that we are hankering after. Yeah. And even as people who are not devotees, I always feel like the most pertinent question is, would you treat your child like this? And if that's too far-fetched for you, could you marry somebody black? And then everybody pauses. And then they have to think about it. And I'm like, that right there is the racism. That's the definition. There you go. If you paused and thought, oh, well, there it is. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, there's, there's a lot we could, you know, speak about. But I think we've taken a significant step here. We started that journey and every journey starts with its first step. And I'm glad, you know what, this quarantine has been such a, a blessing in, in every way. I mean, we've not met in person, but we have connected so much over, you know, the last uh, couple of months. And that's one thing I've, I've um, been very grateful for over the last two months is that globally we've just reached out to each other and if ever there's an opportunity for us to really really
take the bull by the horns when it comes to issues such as this, racism in within our society and within the world. This is it, guys. This is it. We have the impetus. We have the momentum. Let's have the discussions with ourselves, with our families. And it's not a case of pointing fingers, pointing fingers. But as you've observed here, it's a discussion about the illness. As Prabhupada would say, you know, the skin disease that we, we have. That's the discussion, the opportunity that Krishna has presented us with. The opportunity to dive deeper within our Krishna consciousness. We should always remember that, you know, we're not, we shouldn't stay victims to the hurt and the pain of, of, of racism or whatever sort of uh, material oppression uh, there may be because we always have a choice and an opportunity to choose Krishna and to insulate our consciousness against the barrage of material um, weapons that are thrown at us, you know. And simply if we take shelter of the holy name, I think we're, we're able to overcome. So I just wanted to thank you guys again. I wanted us to actually end off with a little bit of kirtan because that's, that's our shelter as devotees. And that's the springboard that propels us into higher spiritual understanding of ourselves beyond this body. So if you could just like two minutes of, you know, chanting, I think those who are online um, would benefit so much from just like hearing um, all of you chant a little. So yeah. And then we'll cap it off.
Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's been such an honor, such a pleasure meeting the three of you and connecting again with you, Achuta. It's, yeah, I just, I just love your guys' energy. And um, there's one request that I have. You have to come to South Africa because you haven't really danced in Kirtan until you danced in a South African Kirtan. So... <laughs> From everyone in South Africa, you know, that's an open invitation for you to come down. We have, you know, uh, just over 30 seconds left on this. But thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys, again. Thank you, Vas. Thank you, Kesh. Thank you, Govinda. Thank you, Achuta. Thank you, everyone. Um, Krishna's our shelter. Krishna is everything. So let's seize this opportunity to grow closer and to overcome, you know, the bodily concept of life. And slowly make our way back home, back to Godhead. So, Hare Krishna. 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 H